Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't mentioned it yet, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the house, and today is, in fact, the first Sunday of Advent, and we are talking about hope. And if you don't mind, uh, I'm going I'm to get moving. I want to jump straight into the scripture that we're going to read for the day. And so it's in the book of Isaiah, which is in the Hebrew or Older Testament in the first half of the Bible that we have. If you see Song of Solomon, and then it goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, that's the neighborhood that it is in. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one on your way home. We have them out on the bookshelf. You can take one or download one from any of the digital app stores. So we're going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. We have a tradition of giving the scriptures our full attention while we read them, and so you can do that any number of ways. You can do so by standing with me or sitting with your heart turned towards God. Uh, however you prefer, but uh, those who would like to stand, please stand with me as you are able. All right, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 6, says this, For uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let us pray. God of every tribe, every tongue, every color, every nation, we thank you for the scriptures that this particular book and chapter has existed since 600, 800 years before Jesus. We thank you that it has persisted. We still have it today, and I pray that whatever you have for us to learn Pray that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, that we would become more like your son. Amen. Thanks, y'all. I can have a seat. So this is a passage of hope from Isaiah, but I actually want to back up for a second. We asked the question, do you have a good sense of time? And I actually think that right now would be a great time for us to actually find out. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a little experiment, okay? So what we're going to do is, in a second, I'm going to ask Liam, who's in the office, running the computer, I'm going to ask him to click on a, there's a five-minute timer, don't worry, it's not going to take five minutes, it's just the the best option. And he's going to click on that five-minute timer, and you're going to see the five, and then you're going to see it start counting down, and what I want everyone to do is, as soon as you see the first second click by, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to open your eyes when you think it's been one minute. So you're trying to open your eyes when it's hitting four, four minutes, okay? Because it starts as five minutes, and, uh, and once we get there, I'll also be like, all right, everyone open your eyes if anyone happens to still be uh, holding their eyes shut. Ready, Liam? All right, let's pop that up there. Ready? You may have to clear the, uh, the graphic first. Here we go. All right, close them.
All of our eyes open. All right, you can, you can stop it, Liam. How, how close were you? Easy enough, right? Okay, Greg, why are we doing a countdown experiment? I'll tell you, because today is the first Sunday of Advent, and the word Advent just means arrival. And if there's an arrival, then there's almost always anticipation and waiting and time. And I wonder if how we think about time or we feel time impacts our hope. In the advent of Jesus, time and waiting and hope has two sides. First, because advent is meant to remind us of how long the Israelites waited for a Messiah in the first place. And then secondly, it's meant to remind us now that we are waiting for Jesus to arrive again in the context of Orthodox Christianity. Now, it's safe to say that that most of us probably know that it's been 2,000 years since the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how long that that we collectively as Christians have been waiting. But those years are actually layered onto the years that the Israelites had already been waiting. And it's probably also safe to say that most of us are unfamiliar with the period of waiting that happened before Jesus. So here's a brief history of the Israelites and their waiting. Around 1800 BCE, BCE just means before the Common Era, used to be just before Christ, and then they realized, well, not everyone believes in Jesus, and so maybe we should come up with something else, right? So before the Common Era, 1800 years years before that, 3,800 years ago from now, is where in the Bible it begins describing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nearly 4,000 years ago. 500 years after that, around 1300 BCE, Moses is called by God to go and free his people from their 400 years of enslavement in Egypt. 300 years after that, around 1000 BCE, the nation asks God for their first king. Those of you who are like Bible nerds have already thought of his name in your head, King Saul, and then King David, and then his son, King Solomon. So if you're keeping track, this is about 3,000 years ago. After Solomon, things start to fall apart again. His father, King David, had, had united the southern and the northern kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel, into one united kingdom. But after Solomon, the kingdoms break up again because of idolatry, because of power struggles, even because of a lot of the bad things that Solomon had begun in his lifetime. The ten tribes in the north, when they split up, the ten in the north keep the name Israel, the two in the south take the name Judah. The south is where Jerusalem was. But they would find out that they had been better together. Because around 740 BCE, Isaiah, which we read from, begins prophesying that Israel would be overthrown and sent into exile because of how they had failed to follow the Lord, and particularly because of the way the leaders had failed to follow the Lord. But he also said, one day there will be this kind of Messiah that would reign forever on the throne of King David, with the kingdom of peace. 
And then it began. In 721 BC, the Assyrians overthrow the northern kingdom. The ten tribes are kicked out of their land. They are exiled. They become known as the diaspora, the ten lost tribes. And even to this day, it is believed that those ten tribes never completely returned to the land. Isaiah's first prophecy of being defeated is happening. So the waiting for Messiah begins. Now, when the Assyrians defeated the north kingdom, they attempted to defeat the south as well, but the southern kingdoms were able to defend Jerusalem, and they maintained their independence until 135 years later. In 586 BCE, when the Babylonians came in and defeated the Assyrians in the north and the Israelites in the south, destroying Jerusalem. And the Babylonians, just like the Assyrians, sent the southern Israelites into exile out of their land. What I've been describing here, this is what an old friend of mine would call extreme home makeover empire edition. Because it was just like one empire after another. And then after this, only 50 years later, what happens is Persia comes in and defeats Babylon. Another years after that, uh, a Greece takes over in 332. And then, for the first time, in 444 years, in the year 142, 142 years before Christ, there was a Jewish revolt led by the Maccabees. Some of you have heard of that. The Festival of Lights has its connection and roots back to the Maccabee revolt. The Jews once again controlled Jerusalem. Was this their Messiah moment? Well, it only lasted 79 years. Until 63 BCE when the Romans defeated the Jewish armies. Then the Romans would rule the region longer than anyone. They would control that entire region for 539 years. The entire Roman Empire in its totality lasted 1,101 years. So when Americans get all huffy about being the best country ever, uh, Rome has us beat by like 850 years. Like, <laughs> they were the boss. Now by the time that Jesus was born... In or around 2 BCE, his people had been under the rule of five different empires. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. There won't be a test later, don't worry. In the words of Isaiah, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of hope had been hanging in the air for 720 years. 720 years, mostly under the subjugation of other nations. 720 years of being kicked out of their own land. 720 years of waiting and testing hope. Let me back up again. When we did that experiment earlier, some of us, some of us, we, we opened our eyes a few seconds early. Okay? Some of us opened our eyes right at one minute. Others, we opened our eyes a little late, very late. The, the truth is, there's a lot more to that experiment than just counting time. When I was preparing this message, I wanted to look into how our brains perceive time. I found something fascinating. Dr. Heather Berlin wanted to know how accurate humans are at perceiving the passage of time. And so she did this simple timing experiment with people that had no known brain injuries and with people that had something called orbitofrontal cortex lesions, okay? The, 
the frontal orbital is this part of your brain that makes all like these really important decisions. But also for context, if you have a brain injury there, it affects your emotions, it affects your behavior, and it can, can affect, uh, affect how impulsive you are. So the experiment was simple. She had people try in time exactly nine seconds. She had distracted them a little so they weren't able just to count one, two, three, four, five. What she found was really interesting. Let me, let me read part of this. This is what the report said. Participants with orbitofrontal cortex damage would stop her at almost exactly 90 seconds, indicating a more accurate perception of time. More accurate. Then she found out that participants without these brain injuries tended to let a few more, even 95 or 100 seconds pass before stopping her, indicating a slightly slower perception of time. One of the conclusions that can be made here is that while this particular kind of brain injury seems to make people perceive time more accurately, which I think is surprising to some people when you read that, the other side of that is that it at least implies that the uninjured brain is in less of a hurry. Made me wonder, if beyond brain injuries, what about our hearts? What about our hopes? What, what if our brain is fine, but our hopes are damaged? What about the traumas we experience when our prayers seem to go unanswered? Does hope deferred year after year have a way of compounding impatience, making us count a little faster with God? Made me think about how time, maybe you've all experienced this, how time just seemed to go so slow when you were a kid. Now the older I get, it's like the years are just racing past. And I wondered, if God can heal our hope. And I remembered 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Romans 12.2 Paul says we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And 1 Corinthians 2.16 where he says, but we have the mind of Christ. I remember that Isaiah 55 quotes God saying, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There is a promise in Jesus that our minds, that our thinking, that our thoughts can be healed thought, if we can be made new, if, if we can have the mind of Christ, if we can share in the way that God thinks, then we can learn again to put our timing down, learn to count like God. Because then I remembered in Psalm 90, verse 4, where Moses says, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night, 
And in 2 Peter 3.8, when Paul says, Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. I think our way of thinking, our way of waiting, our way of counting and keeping track of time, our way of hoping can be healed. Maybe, maybe you need your hope healed today. So as I close this up, there's just two more things I want to say about time and how we perceive it. About two years ago, I started helping out at the hospital. There was something wrong with me. It was like the height of the pandemic. And Trish Britton, Pastor Chris's wife, emailed me saying that they were looking for more chaplains. And I thought, you know, what a better time to go work in the hospital. But this last week, I learned something new about being a chaplain. It turns out that research shows when it comes to patients and caregivers like nurses and doctors and chaplains, they found that when patients have a caregiver that will sit down with them, everything else being exactly the same, but if the caregiver sits down with the patient, the patient will perceive that visit lasting five times longer than it did. Five times. Some of us have heard that phrase, that time is a construct. Like, there's something that's happening. I wonder if some of us just need someone to sit down with us. To slow down, to just... Be present and watch God multiply our hope in this city. Because if you have this much left, maybe someone would sit with you. It would be multiplied by five. Some of us need to stop and be the one that sits down with someone else. And last, I want to acknowledge, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that waiting is easy. I'm not saying that hope is cheap or that it's magic. I am saying that how we perceive time isn't as sure as we think it is. And there's plenty of proof. There's another experiment that I want to tell you about. In this one, the doctor took two different groups of people. Well, actually many different groups of people. There was... N- no like mental or, or brain injuries involved. It was just people. And what they would do is they would put them in a room and they would give them basically like an assignment, a task to do. Something like handing them a paper and saying, I need you to underline every time that there's a double letter, like the two T's in the word letter or the two L's in all. And we're going to give you 10 minutes to do it and we're going to see if you can underline all of them. And then the person leading experiment would say, okay, click 10 minutes and leave the room, making sure that they saw that the only timer left and that had been started. And what would happen is that then they would go back in after 10 minutes and say, okay, it's done, it's been 10 minutes, 
And then for other groups, they would go in after 20 minutes and go in and say, all right, it's been 10 minutes. In other groups, they would go in after five minutes and say, okay, it's been 10 minutes. Other groups, they would go in after 10 minutes and say, okay, it's been five minutes. Other groups, they would go in after 20 minutes and say, it's been five minutes. And they found out something fascinating. Then when they had them fill out a survey about how satisfied they were with how they did, the people that were most satisfied, whether it had been 5, 10, or 20 minutes, in reality, the most satisfied people were the ones that had been told it had only been 5 minutes. Just being told, just being told, lied to, just being told that it was shorter than it was made them feel better. It reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day for our light and momentary affliction producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And it made me think of something beautiful. I believe there is a future advent. I believe Jesus will Return, and he will make all things new. And I think that when it happens, that maybe some of us are going to ask, Jesus, what took you so long? It's been thousands of years, and Jesus will look at us and say, my child, it has only been a few minutes. And we will feel better. And our hope will be satisfied. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that you heal our hope today. That you take the way that we keep track of time, how long hope has been deferred, and you teach us again how to count like you. And then in the moments where it still feels like too much, I pray that you convince our hearts that we will see you again one day. Because for you, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. You will tell us this long wait has been but a moment. And we will believe you. Amen.